This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Binge Town TV. Today, we are back with episodes five and six titled The Telltale Heart and Goldbug of the Fall of the House of Usher. It's me, Kathleen, here with Luke, Jimmy, and finally, Paul. He has watched one through six in order, I hope. <laughs> yes. And he's here to talk through five and six with us. You'll know his voice from our, our previous four pods for the Flanagan verse, and we've been missing him. So welcome back, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's great to be back. I'm sorry it took me so long. Definitely, if anything, this whole thing, experiment, is a testament to how good Flanagan is because the fact that I thought episode four and five were episodes one and two, I was like, you know, classic Flanagan throwing us right in the middle of the story. Like, my theories all, all over the place. I'm like, two kids are already dead. We're going to get that backstory. It, it worked out just so well about how they were also in the flashbacks, kind of like starting their plan. Um, with young Augie and everything. And I was like, oh man, this is crazy. There's storylines all over the place. It was just wild. But in order, it makes so much sense. <laughs> there were sure some there's some things that were kind of ruined for me. Um, like the informant will get to that, but like that wasn't really a mystery yeah. for me because that was kind of revealed. But there were some things where I'm like, where did you know Freddie's wife get the burner phone and all of this? So that it was a mystery to me. <laughs> How'd she get all burned up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I can't wait to get that back. So it was a wild experience, but Flanagan's the man. That's all I gotta say. That yeah, hopefully hilarious. it didn't ruin any of your any of your viewing. <laughs> Good. It's it's not even a backstory, it's a front story. It's like, man, what's that backstory? It's like, dude, just watch episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so. Paul, I don't think you had a chance to listen to our 3-4 coverage. We're dropping it today, which is Saturday the 14th. I had mentioned during 3 and 4 that while I love the episodes, is getting a little repetitive for me, right? They told us in the beginning of episode 1, here's the desk, here's the order, and we know they're coming, right? I thought 5 and 6 were fucking phenomenal. Um, hanging on his every word again. I thought this spiced it up. It wasn't just like cookie cutter for me. You know who's going to die. It wasn't about that for me. I thought these deaths were fucking awesome. Like the ASMR of Tam's death was phenomenal. I want to crunch on that mirror. Like I want to crunch on the sorcerer's stone. You know? <laughs> I really, I, I loved these episodes. I thought they were fucking awesome. Boys, what did you think? So I need to be careful what I say here. And I want to jump off what you said, Kathleen, because... I think right now this show has cemented itself as number two. So no matter what I say, I love this show. And I agree. I love these two episodes. Phenomenal episodes. I'm enjoying the journey. But I do think that it can never go over Hill House as mm -hmm. number one on this track that it's taking. Because mm -hmm. while it's awesome, it is still pretty 
cut and dry, straightforward, especially for someone who we don't have confirmation, but we kind of have confirmation that we guessed in episodes one and two who Verna is and how the show is kind of going to end. We don't know the ending and they're going to have a million things that are going to be awesome and surprise us. What's Madeline doing in the basement if it's actually Madeline and all this kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. the fact that right away we're guessing Vern is the devil. They made the deal with the devil and and Roddick's going to have everything that he ever wants in life. And it's going to be all taken away from him and blah, 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 blah. I understand that there is a lot of merit to having a TV show or movie where you know the ending and it's just about the journey and enjoying how good it is. And I am doing that, but I just don't think the way that this is going, it can be better than Hill House because that formula will never be top tier for me. Right. Yeah. And I agree. I think next episode we can do this conversation once we have seen the the ending and be able to actually place it. I mean, I think Midnight Mass was going to be Luke's number two until the ending. You know what I mean? So yeah, you never right. know until they stick the ending. It could just turn it on its head for us or it can like lower it. You never know. But I agree. It's with definitely you. it's definitely arrogant of me to say that it's cut and dry before we know the ending because for all i know the verna thing could be not that she's the devil and they're signing a deal with the devil but it just seems that especially with this episode and we'll get into it when they're showing the pictures of all the powerful wealthy people in the world that she pretty much is showing that they all signed a deal with the devil with her Mm -hmm. and that's how they got where they are but again we'll talk about it luke paul jump in uh, yeah, so just my quick thoughts. You guys pretty much nailed what I had written down to say about this. Um, I was all in on the Verna stuff. I really like that they started up in that. And Freddie's been getting a lot of highlight for him mm. not being his episodes. So that's probably going to be a top two, if not like top three episodes um, coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, it is impossible to jump Haunting of Hill House at this point. I, yeah. I mean... Again, I'm copying what Jimmy said, but it's possible, I guess, but I really, really doubt it just because of just the trajectory of how we're getting there is is too, I don't know, like there's not enough twists for what I expect from Flanagan show. And there will be in the finale as they're always supposed to be. Um, but like, it's just about like, just you got to just stay in the moment, just watch the cool deaths and let it happen and let Verna blow our minds. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, so yeah, good episodes. I'm loving the show. Just I don't think it'll be the best Flanagan show. Mm-hmm. Right. We got some high tier conversation about what young Arthur Pym was doing. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. Want to talk more about that and totally going on what you guys were saying. You know, hot mama, a.k.a. Verna, seems like, you know, something about like a demon or a devil and making a deal with the devil. Um, and I guess we'll get more into it and see what they're talking about. But there's a whole aspect of like immortality in the background. So I don't know how supernatural it gets, but I it, it feels like there's going to be like a huge penultimate next episode. I'm really, really excited to just finish this one. All right. So let's break down the episodes then. Jimmy, you had something else? To well, add? really quick, really quick, Luke. I don't mean to cut you off, but since Paul's talking about supernatural, we might as well. Let's just get it on the table now. Let's talk about our conversation about episode one, the mother, Eliza, and what we thought and how we were taking it originally paul you haven't listened to any of our episodes right or did you listen to episode one and two one and two so no my question to you paul is did you take it like she came back from the dead and it's supernatural or she was always alive and they buried her alive and then she got out of the grave and did whatever she did on her last breath um at first i really did think she died but i 
can see where we're going with this because we had a buddy on the Discord and we love that yeah. you guys were are talking to us. Yeah, so let me just read this and then we'll get into it. So Alicia Elliott, shout out to you. You hit us up actually this morning, 1.29 a.m. Love it. So you might be <laughs> doing some spooky uh, Flanagan watching or Edgar Allan Poe reading before bed. But she said she was listening to the first episode and has some info that might help explain Eliza coming back to life in quotes. She says she was accidentally buried alive. That's why the kids apologize that she's trying to strangle Roddy. She's trying to strangle Roddy at first because she thought the kids had buried her alive on purpose. She refused to be embalmed and they didn't take her to a hospital or a funeral home. So when they thought she had died, they buried her in the backyard. This actually used to happen at times in a fear Edgar Allan Poe had. Before embalming became a thing, people were at times accidentally buried alive. He wrote about it in his short story, The Premature Burial. It's not supernatural, but still creepy as hell. Hopefully that info helps. So, yeah, I appreciate that. We all appreciate that. It's a... Something that we did talk about it, like we said, which one do you think it is? And we went with the supernatural. And it's funny that this is being brought up because I said this show is not going to be great to me if we don't get an answer. And if it's not supernatural, then we won't get an answer. It's just that they buried their mom alive and she came out of the grave. And Paul, I like what you're saying about the rain washing some of the dirt away and it's it's muddy and it's Mm. not as hard as to break out of it. Yeah. I understand, and I agree with you completely. I knew that Flanagan was putting other Edgar Allan Poe works into this one. It wasn't just The Fall of the House of Usher, so that makes sense. Mine was more of like a disbelief when they're burying her, like through the panels of the wood that they built. The dirt is like hitting her face, and it's like daytime when they're doing it, and now it's nighttime, and they're asleep, and she's just breaking out, and she's had dirt on her face, and she broke through wood, and she couldn't breathe, and she was weak to begin with, and then she goes and chokes out fucking what's his name it's crazy like all of that just seems demonic to me which is why my brain went there and it's a it's a flanagan show it was right in the beginning we didn't know what this was going to be yet so i think that's why my brain went there but i'm fully on board with this just being like she broke out and that being like an old-timey thing that people did because it was like it's they're fucked up and weirdly like i don't know just not going through the rules of bringing them to a hospital or something Mm -hmm. like i like that it's good it's good for me I'm going to give Kathleen a little break here. Uh, so I'll be leading a lot of these buckets and they're probably going to be a little truncated compared to what she normally does. But, you know, we'll follow the same methodology where we're trying to group together scenes of the same characters. So mm-hmm. episode five doesn't actually start in modern day with Rod and Augie. Instead, we're going to go back to the infamous night. I think it's 1979, December yep. 31st, back in the bar with Verna, where they met Verna for the first time. Um, I'll open the floor to any conversations you guys want to start here. But the only thing I wanted to point out was... It seems like we got Madeline making the deal with Verna here. And I wanted to even go as far to say like the signing of the deal was the kiss that she made with Verna. And I hope that's the case because that's just a cool, unique spin on how you would make a deal with the devil like that. Uh, And then the other thing I pointed out where Verna asked Madeline, would you rather be rich or famous? And she ends up saying rich and maybe that's part of it as well. But open the conversation there because this is going to be a night we're going to keep coming back to over the final two episodes. I don't think that's fair, dude. It's not fair. That wasn't really a here's a contract, put it on the goddamn table and you're writing your life away if that's how we're doing it. I mean, she just kind of was asking questions. And we're talking about the fact that we're thinking it's Roddy who ends, ends up signing. So it just seems to me that I agree with you, Luke. Like, I think this is definitely the signing the deal or at least the start of the contract that they're making. But I feel like there is going to be more revealed after midnight where it has to get worse because, yes, this lady, Verna, as a bartender would be memorable just because 
they did something very bad right before they met her. But so mm-hmm. far, their conversation with her, it really isn't anything memorable yet to the point where you're like, 40 years ago, you remember that lady who, I, I mean, I guess Will Fitzgerald's character, Mad, Maddie, would be like, I remember that lady I kissed? But like, otherwise, you know, Roddy would be like, oh, yeah, I freaking got a scotch from this lady. Well, Madeline, here's what we didn't know and we weren't sure of is we weren't sure if Madeline was aware she made a deal with the devil or not. Like, we kind of thought like, yeah, Madeline, like, signed her whole family away and was just like peace let's go let's get let's get that money but in the later episodes i can't tell if it's in five or six i can't remember but she's like well you were sticking your dick in everyone did you fuck her that night too and like so madeline didn't know what happened that night besides what right. they did madeline's unaware of any deal she made which is very interesting and i like that much better almost yeah you know? right and that's I'm, why i think it's very like it has to get i don't know i feel like it has to get worse or maybe he does something worse well when it comes to making the deal i think it's not really a deal it's whenever she like comes up and appears verna slash out mama this is kind of like a test because you already did something bad and this is the test after it so like that's even for the kids you, though well, right? it could be. It here. could be for. It could be for anybody. I figured yeah, it's I here like because when Rod, when they come into the bar and oh, they yeah. sit down, yes. Rod has stuff all over his hands, and then they're like, "Chill out, like everybody, make friends, make sure you remember." So I feel like they already did the deed. That's why they're watching out for the cops and everything. They see the cops right, and they right. freak out. It's because you know something already happened. So, um, my theory, if we want to get into it, I guess we can wait a little bit because there's a better time <laughs> towards the end of the episode. But um, <laughs> my theory, well, let's my wait. Theory, <laughs> I'm teasing now, so you have to stay to the end. <laughs> but uh, it's more, it's not a deal with the devil. Like this is you fucked up, you did something bad, and now she's like messing with you and like basically like giving you a you. chance to repent almost. Yeah, or like, like yeah, like do you and if you don't be damned. If you are a good person or a bad person, depending on your answer. Right. Okay. Things, I like that. Yeah, go ahead. Two extra things I have from this scene is just one. I This might be stupid of me. I didn't realize they were twins. Makes total sense that they're twins. But we kind of got the reveal in this scene because obviously, like, it would have been weird if she had two babies with this man out of wet, like, you know, cheating and an affair. And then two, Roderick kissing somebody else when he's with Annabelle is really interesting. Like something trajectory wise is off here with Roderick. And um, I I think he had to cheat on Annabelle because of what he did or whatever. Like, I think he's like purposely putting a wedge between the two of them, but we don't know. What what if what they did was bad was killing Annabelle. That was my theory. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I still think it's Rufus, but I like that too. I really do. I think they killed all of them. Including the secretary. Just started going on a murder spree. <laughs> Boom. Included in secretary and that shit, too. Um, <laughs> and to jump forward, well, I'll just talk about it now. We see in the basement of Fortunato, like of the office, Rod's talking to the wall. I feel like mm-hmm. they were in Griswold's office. Killed him. Killed Annabelle, too, because she's kind of in the vibe like, you're better than this. Stop it. Maybe they like killed her, too, because she was going to rat. She's a little Annabelle rat. And then she's like, um, Allie, good person. Don't we haven't seen her thing. I'm going to I'm going to tell we haven't seen her after that night either. Like we see her in the flashbacks, but like we don't know what happened to her. All we know is, yeah, that was his first wife. And now and then after that, Rod had a bunch. Mm -hmm. So um, I like that, that they could could be behind the wall. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing because I feel like Flanagan always does that. He he did that with Leo in his episode. He definitely did that in Haunting of Hill House. That was like one of the things like was in the wall that goes. Right. Yeah. Later on, when uh, Morel is watching TV with her daughter Lenore, they're flipping through Netflix, and Gerald's game is the thing in yeah. the background, which is a Mike oh, Flanagan really? movie. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And at oh. first they're watching the, the Pendulum, the version of Edgar Allan Poe. I actually watched that in like middle school or high school. Nice. That's the first thing they're watching that ends and then they go movie or TV and then Gerald's game comes up. Sick. All right, let's move on. Um, there's two quick scenes here. I don't know if there's much to talk about, but this will launch us into the rest of this bucket I have here. Uh, we get the modern day Augie and Rod conversation talking about Annabelle. You can say whatever you want there. And then also we get another flash to the first funeral of Perry, Leo and Camille. And then this is the second time we see the jester ghost when he turns around and sees the jester up top yep. uh, in the church. So still nothing there yet, unless you guys connected something that i didn't but before we get into other like bigger scenes like anything with either of those scenes that you guys want to point out my thing with these scenes is we get to see the mothers for the first time so at the funeral the three mothers for camille leo and and prospero and it's interesting because you know these kids are kind of fucked up and vic later says to the other two that are still alive like oh they f- tried to fill the daddy hole with spending and greed and money and all this shit. But like all of these kids didn't meet their father until they were 16, 18, 20, whatever they were. It's like they almost weren't raised right from the start. <laughs> you thought like they were raised with greed and they're spoiled rich kids, but they're really not. They were like fully formed people by the time they got the greed. That's like the only thing I had to say, just because, you know, you see the mothers they are obviously not really talking to Roddy or anything. It's just like more thought provoking on how, how the kids were raised and why they are the way they are today. You know, it's just yeah. made me think of that. I think that's like, I was kind of getting that as like the theme, like as soon as they, Theo and Napoleon, I called her Theo. Camille and Napoleon and they're talking about oh man he was such a kid Prospero when he first found out and it it really would change you if you found out you were an heir to like the biggest most powerful corporation in the world so maybe it's just like human nature because the way hot mama Verna keeps talking about it she keeps talking about like you people as like humans as the way I was taking it but maybe she's just talking about us yeah so anything on the jester? Anybody got any guesses? Because I have nothing. I got nothing. No, nothing. I hope it's not like I was I nothing. I would have bet money that when he looked back, it was Verna. And the fact that it was a guy, I was like, I'm I don't freaking know what this is. <laughs> yeah. I can't there's, wait there's, though. That has to be a reveal, right? They're not that's not gonna be something that just gets like pushed away. I would hope. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's step into the direct aftermath of the first funeral. And I kind of like this scene just because we get the three mm-hmm. surviving kids in a private bar. They all have bodyguards now, which finally, like, come on, like three of your siblings died. Like, I can't believe it took this long. But this is just another good conversation that we get some backstory about, like, Rod only ever married one time. And we already yeah. kind of knew that. Tam thinks that Vic is the informants. Like, these these interlocking conflicts are still happening. Uh, and this is just a, you know, a good scene just to reset for the kids that are surviving. Yeah, I was happy to get more Tania Miller this episode. I thought she was fucking phenomenal. Her acting, calling them Frederick and Madeline. It's very, it's all very interesting. Um, I like that they called Annabelle Lee like a legend, the legend of Annabelle Lee. It doesn't seem like even the kids really know her. I think 
the death of Annabelle, we had already talked about it, but that's going to be a, a huge thing and a huge turning point as well. But just in general, great acting, very fun. Anything with Freddy was fucking cracking me up. He is a gem. Yeah. He's so good in this. But yeah, it's all Roderick, I got, Paul. <laughs> it, it's awesome how it just really showed the rift between how they viewed the other kids. And we already had the line, you know, they call them the bastards, you know, all of them. Um, and not including Vic for some reason, Vic was included in those two, but even later on, we kind of see how like the two Tammy and Freddie viewed Vic. It's almost like they didn't even view her as a true sister. So they keep calling each other a family, but it just doesn't seem like a family at all. It seems like they're still no, at each other's throats. Not. They're still like concerned. One of the other ones, the informant like still going on and everything. So they, it's, it's weird because they had the scene that like kind of bond and they immediately just uh, explode in each other's face. And they're like, well, that didn't help. And then yeah. all dipped. Even Freddie is like, Oh, I thought we were kind of cheers to our dead siblings and <laughs> yeah. hug it out. And they're like, Broder, get the hell out of here. <laughs> so I can't, for some reason, it's just not sticking. What is Freddie's wife's name? Maury? Do they call yes. her Maury? Mor- Morel is her name, but Maury is the nickname. Okay, I I don't know why that's not sticking with me, but it doesn't we can talk, stick with me either. Yeah, we could talk more about her later in the second scene she gets. She has the quick scene here where Freddie's being all shady and like making sure he can bring her home. Yeah, he's, he's starting to lose it, and it's actually hilarious watching that that play out. But he wants to bring her back home and treat her there. That happens, and then this is the big scene that we get the reveal at the end of the episode with Vic and Allie. They have the fight about rushing the surgery. She's been forging Allie's signatures. That's not the first time forgery has been a theme for this show. Um, so that's happening. They fight. She threatens to break the NDA. And then we black out before we get to see the kill shot. And did you guys know yeah, that she was going to be dead off? That definitely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> Murder yeah. suicide, too, was like the newspaper clipping in the beginning. So you knew that was coming. Uh, yeah. Um. Definitely. To jump back to Freddie real quick. He's slowly losing it more and more. He was always such a kiss ass in the beginning, but now he's like not listening to anybody. And it's got to be because you went to see, you know, Leo got the Coke. He's been doing Coke this whole time. Mm-hmm. And he's just like going more and more in his own head and insane. And the phone is just ruining him. Him trying to like open unlock the phone with his wife's burn up face was just so ridiculous. I was like, you are just insane. You're losing it right now. You're not thinking logically at all. So like him taking her home and everything, the setup is just ridiculous. And we didn't see any doctors and the daughter kind of, you know, that's next episode too. She's kind of saying, Hey, we're the specialist. So he is full insane right now. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just jealousy. It's pure jealousy and he's pissed off and he's and I knew as soon as he wanted to take her home and he's kind of like brushing off any of the doctor's recommendations that I'm like, he's going to kill her. He's going to kill her and torture her. Would you go as far to say that it's envy? (laughs) Could could be. Maybe. (laughs) I like that. We were were flirting with the idea of related to the seven deadly sins. Oh, I love that. But they're six, so I don't know how that works. But yeah, Rod, well, Rod I mean, you could just make you could just make Rod or the seventh if you really yeah. want seven. But the but, problem is they're all greedy. Yeah, right. Ushers are just greedy in general. So we'll dive more into Freddy like later once we get into the actual scenes. But for Alessandrine, I have her as Alessandrine. I know that's not right because it's like Victorine and Alessandra. That's their couple <laughs> name to me. We'll just call her Allie. This was, and I hate to jump ahead. But 
the greatest reveal of the series so far to me. Like the way she was set up was so divine, so horror, so gory, so Mm -hmm. perfect. I was delighted. I was watching it at like 9.30 a.m. just like squealing with delight. (laughs) (laughs) I like her a lot. Yeah. Allie, she didn't get enough screen time. I agree with that. And I think my only issue with this is that they should have given them more home life scenes so we could care about them more. I think that's what's lacking in this series versus Hill House. Um, and we I'll get on my Hill House soapbox next episode. But in Hill House, you meet these kids. They live through a couple tragedies all at once. And then you grow up with them and you see how these tragedies have fucked their lives up. And you love them so much. Every single one of these damn kids. And as they grow up, you see how flawed they are. And you're just insane. That's how Bly is like insanely obsessed with Danny and Jamie and Owen and Hannah and all of them. So like, I think that's what lacks a little bit in these series, but I would say these series are more just fun. They're more like Mm -hmm. electric and thrilling and just like there for the, for the hits. Um, I think that like this would hit more if we knew Allie, if we saw that those two were like super in love with each other beforehand or was Vic just in it for the heart surgeon? Like, is she doing what Tam did with Bill? Like, you know, just going through a file and I got to pick one of these heart surgeons to fuck. Allie sounds great. You know, James, I think that the problem is that, you know, I agree with you 100 percent that if we know more about Allie, if we know if they're in love or not in love get more of a background. We can care more about the deaths. But I think the point, too, is that they all suck and you don't (laughs) want to get to know them more because if you get to know them more, you're happy they're dying even more. So it's just there's nothing to get to know more of except for the fact that they suck. Now, there's some parts of them that can be good, like depending on if you believe Vic loved Allie. But you get scenes like when she calls her on the phone and she says, I love I will give you anything that you want. Just stop. You don't know if that's she's first lying and then she just tells the truth, just like Tam, or if she is telling the truth when she says I love and then she just gets down to business because she knows she has to. Like you could take it either way. I mean, knowing that she actually loved her would have made it hurt more. But I think also you're supposed to think they're all POSs. So I don't know if we need to know that more. Yeah, I took it as, you know, she really did love her, especially, you know, towards the end when she's like completely gone and and insane and she seems like she cares about her and i think she does care about her but like her whole dream goes first something i wanted to bring up with this next scene because you're saying how like we don't really get to know these characters and like their relationships with each other that deeply this next scene with vic because everything starts to be vic centric of course it's her episode and like the beeping starts to become like her version of the black cat like she's always hearing what's eventually going to kill her and that's really starts in this next scene when maddie shows up to her place of work and i bring this up because i thought that maddie seemed like she was genuinely concerned about roderick's health and that was like the first time where i felt like she wasn't being selfish so Mm -hmm. i thought this was like these two episodes were big for maddie they gave us a lot about her and like kathleen you brought up earlier we we always thought she was in on the verna thing or like she knew about it and she doesn't so we got a lot of her and here it seemed like she was she was being genuine when she was like concerned about the heart transplant working for roderick um so we'll take that scene and then the other scene before we return to modern time which was quick was augie and pim in the courtroom and pim just basically gets the delayed trial because of the third death arthur pim is so cool mark hamill Good. is the man the yeah. way he just like knows confidently knows that he can get away with anything is just insane he knows exactly what to do exactly what to say i want an arthur pym in my life 
I feel like I'd be so much farther ahead. And let's <laughs> let's save some man. of his conversation because Pim's going to be a center of the a later scene. So save a couple of those thoughts. But yeah, he's he's a beast in the courtroom. Yeah, he's a beast. But what I'll say is that it's interesting to me, Luke, that you took it that way with Madeline. Like, I still think she's bullshitting and only cares about herself, the future of the Usher business, pretty much like. I was the one who brought up last episode. Does she even like him at all? Does she care about him at all? And I'm not saying she doesn't. I guarantee that there's some care when she sees that he's not doing well. But I mean, even the scene later in Goldbug, when she slaps him in the face and is like, get your grips. You need to be up there. You need to be here for Tam. We need to show that we're still strong. I, I took it like she really is still all about Maddie and all about the Usher business. I could have read it wrong, too. So but what is what is how'd you take it, Kathleen? Uh, I, it could go either way. I was on Luke's side, but now that Jimmy's saying this, <laughs> yeah, I mean, me yeah, like later, <laughs> kind of convinced the, me out of it. <laughs> yeah. Later in the episode when Madeline with like post Vic's death, uh, they're talking about the board seats, right? The board seats, we're going to lose the company. I mean, not, you're definitely going to lose the company if Roderick dies. You know what I mean? Like all the kids are dead. You're losing all these board seats. Then Roderick goes, then you only have Madeline. It's like, she could just be concerned about Roderick's health because he is part of owning the company, right? And running the company. He's the CEO. She's the COO. You know, it's, I think Jimmy's probably right. I think she does care about him, but I think it's more like the business baby, the green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the scene where she talks to Tam and she's like, you know, husbands, man, all they want is kids. They want to bang when they're alive and they want to bang when they're about to die. Like, what the hell's up with these kids talk? Blah, blah, blah. Like, it just seems to me like it, she is pretty emotionless, pretty tunnel vision. This is what I want. But again, we'll find out more in the next two episodes. Yeah, We'll see if how Roddy feels about her and why she's in the basement, if she's actually in the basement and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Could this like all be part of that like test slash deal about how she said you know she wants to live forever and then you know hot mama in the very beginning in episode two talking to prospero right before his death um she talks about consequences and the there's consequences to seemingly small actions and decisions mm. so um i wouldn't be surprised because like madeline's maddie if you will <laughs> she is the only one that's like not threatened right now. She's the only one that's kind of like feels invincible. I mean, mm -hmm. Rod, Roddy's going through all this like health stuff as it goes. So he might be gone at the end too. But like, I'm not getting any inclination that Madeline's going to be in trouble or like she's even threatened. Yeah. And that's the problem that we've been facing for these podcast episodes. The only conclusion we could come up with is that after all, all these ushers die, Verna comes to Maddie and says, oh, you thought you were going to get away with this. You thought you were going to live forever. And then she kills her because that's the only thing she freaking cares about living forever and being powerful forever. I mean, going back to what I was saying about the husband thing, she even says like about Bill to Tam. Yeah, you feel like you care for a second and then you're like, nah, it's it's just seems like she has one care. And going back to the Roderick thing and, and the shareholders, I feel like the big ending for her is going to be her death. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, let's do you have a rebuttal. Uh, yeah. I just, I have a feeling that she's not going to die. Would it be weird if this was all part of, and we'll get into it later, but this could be all part of the deal of Madeline, like being or reaching her goal of like immortality. But 
we'll get to that more next episode. Yeah, the immortality thing is super interesting, and I just keep getting yeah. Westworld vibes. So, like, yeah. I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, and that's definitely got to be connected to something with what's going on in the basement in present day, which yeah. we're gonna we're gonna transition yeah. to that right here. Augie and Rod talk about the informant, and predictably, it was nobody. So, good job, Kathleen. You nailed that right Thank off the you. bat. Uh, I'm surprised that they kept that running for so long, but it is mm-hmm. cool that we got the explicit confirmation that nobody was the rat. Um, and then this is just like following the theme of the other episodes where Rod sees Vic as like a ghost and she gave her best Nell impression of just like episode one Hill House when she starts like opening mm-hmm. the mouth, going all gray and stuff. And that shit always creeped me out back then, still creeps me out here. I loved in the scene where the Vic jump scare changed Roderick's entire demeanor. Like he was about to blame Augie for the kid's death. Like none of this would have happened if it wasn't for you. And then the the Vic jump scare makes him be like, you know what? Guilt's not really a good thing to live with. (laughs) You're good. He absolves him from right fucking there. And the line read of drag me, you fucking honey badger was so, 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 so good. And I don't mean to cut this off, but I wanted to talk about this in the top. Jimmy and Luke know this. All three of us had just seen this article somehow. But so Bruce Greenwood, who plays Roderick, um, it was all re recuts, reshoots, which is fucking insane because they had to recast the original actor who was uh, Frank Langella, who just was like doing fucking harassment on set and they fired him and they had to reshoot the Greenwood scenes, which is crazy. Insane. He's in all the scenes like (laughs) it's incredible. It's so good. And he is so fucking good in this show. I like I don't know this other actor, but I couldn't imagine anyone else being Roderick. He's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He's the whole show. It feels like almost he's Mm -hmm. like the one telling it and explaining it. And to be the one to be so you got to be so entertaining to be able to like hold that and keep everybody's attention every single episode. Yep. He's like whipping out the blade he has like later as Roderick. He's just, he is fantastic. If He might be the best performance because we didn't get enough of like Leo and Camille. So I I might give it to him. So I was shocked to see that article as well, but Mm -hmm. let's jump into a grouping of scenes here. All of the Griswold related scenes here, when we're going back to young Maddie and young Rod QB one, we find out that she's always been algorithm based. So she wants to sell the idea of this computer company. And she really was doing this just to get FaceTime with Griswold. Uh, we can talk about that scene. It has some really good quotes. He gets all sexual harassment. So that's just like classic, like mad men era kind of stuff. Uh, so that, that all happens. And then we're going to combine that with going back to the apartment and talking about um, like Annabelle, like that conversation that they end up having and they're working with Augie. So young Augie's in the, in the room as well. So basically all of that. And then we kind of were hinting at Annabelle's really out on the idea of like doing all this undermining of Griswold, but this was kind of inevitable because we need to watch Roderick become the head of Fortunato. So anything you want to bring up there, we can talk about because Griswold, again, he's just like a menace and Mm -hmm. I can't wait to watch him die. Michael Truco, right? That's the actor's name. Yep. Such a big bad boss in this uh this show. Like such a dickhead. Don't get me wrong. He is the epitome of like what you would think somebody this stereotypical head of this company must be, the attitude he must have. And he is always doing this. I mean, I, I kind of saw this obviously early on, but then I went back and I and then watching Obviously. he did this same exact <laughs> thing 
to her brother, young Roderick, when he went in and stormed, like the way that she was talking about, you know, take him off guard and then really disarm him. And just the whole way he viewed the conversation, belittles him a little bit um, and then attacking the whole thing. He did that to Roderick, young Roderick, and it worked and he took the 500 bucks. And now fast forward, she doesn't really fall for it. She kind of sees what he's doing. She's always been the really smart one. And young Madeline, I think I might like her more than the you know older Madeline just because I don't know. She seems like she's, she's so not. ambitious. She's so she's ambitious. Driven. Yeah, she's a, she's a scene stealer. She definitely she is. is. She she's really pretty. Is. She's pretty too. I didn't. I mean, that's the second thing I noticed. <laughs> Kathleen, God, um, watch MTV Screen, Paul. Season one. That's it. Season one. Oh, <laughs> I she like two as well. No, no, she, she doesn't. But okay. season oh, two, well, she's, she's, she's final work. girl. She's final okay. girl. She's Sydney Prescott. Go. Um, and the last thing yeah. I'll say about this flashback, it's weird to see Griswold Rufus, Rufy, Rufy Grizz, <laughs> as is known by his close friend. Um, and how Roderick literally becomes him. Like he views him and he feels yeah. like he's such a dick and he's all this. He even starts quoting him. You know, Rufus was quoted earlier on saying, like, whenever I tell you to jump, you say how I like say yes, sir. And young Roderick's like, yes, sir. He even does this later on at the family at the table. I think it was the beginning of episode four. Yeah. And of course, Freddie is the one that goes, yes, sir. Cause he's like the suck up kiss ass and yeah. everything yep. like that. So it's just so I can't wait to see what happened. That really just made Roddy become this terrible person towards the end. So that's a good place for me to pose this question because we were harping on that last podcast saying that, mm-hmm. well, at least I was specifically, I think you guys were agreeing that it's going to be a make or break moment when we finally see that character development turn into older Roddy, because it hasn't happened. And now I'm thinking about it, like kind of running out of time because he's like an informant, like almost like a good guy working with Augie right now in this time. So when does he become the bad motherfucker that we see in modern day? New Year's. Say, say that we're right. And they kill Rufus, right? That means that eh, I like Rufy. So Rufy Grizz. Grizz. I had to think about when you said Rufus, I was like, here's Rufus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, oh, say they, yeah. so say they go and kill the Grizz. <laughs> if they kill the Grizz, that means that they didn't bust his ass with Augie. And Augie says, how could I forget you sandbagged me? You yep. screwed me. So mm-hmm. we have to assume that they don't go through with busting Rufus, because if you bust Rufus, you're basically busting Fortunata. So they make a decision at some point totally. to, if we're right, kill Rufus, take over, but also not go with Augie. And Augie yeah. gets fired because he's unemployed because they must get him in trouble somehow. So, yes, I agree with you, Luke. We need to see because the only thing we've seen so far from QB1, you know, Matt Saracen, I'll just list them all off, my homies. <laughs> but young Roderick, the only thing we've seen so far is him cheating on his wife. Everything yeah. else has just seemed like he's like a normal dude. And Madeline's the one being like, yo, get your head out of your ass. And she's the one who's always been like Madeline. So, Definitely need to see what the change is. And you're right, Luke, there is there isn't that much time, but I feel like they'll nail it because they've been able to give us enough for each character each episode. So they'll let us know what happens. And I, I feel like the turn is going to be when Maddie somehow tells him whether it's she has to convince him or not. We don't know the Annabelle situation, but she convinces him to not go with Augie and go with a nefarious kill if we're right. Yeah. Well, so let's. 
let's switch it up to modern day now. We're back in here and we're going to be a little pim centric where he is just laying down all the evidence that they have against Verna, all the pictures that they were all his basically his investigation. And we we talked a lot about this. Like the reveal was like that Maddie didn't really know like this was the confirmation that she was surprised by seeing Verna as well and she's starting to put everything together here and I think this is the, also the scene where she says like oh did you did you fuck that bartender? I would have loved the turn for this to be the bartender's kid rather than it being yeah. like the devil that because that would have been something i we didn't even consider being an option if she was an usher like verna mm. and rod's kid but i doubt it right there's, that's there's not enough time to pull that off right no yeah but, no, no i think now i like that it would be really <laughs> cool really if she was an usher yeah it was really cool that this scene happens i really like that maddie at first can't really deal with the fact that it may be like quote unquote the devil or some kind of supernatural thing and she's like you're thinking she's talking about that and roddy's like come on it's not some little supernatural crazy thing and she's like no you freaking bang this bartender and it could be the daughter that's coming after us and he's mm-hmm. kind of like oh shit and i was like damn that would be a cool twist but yeah i mean now i mean we've seen the supernatural so we know so that's the problem but yeah it was really cool to have that as a scene because i'm sure it's funny we didn't think about that but i'm sure there has been theories that like Vern the bartender could have banged roddy and there's a kid and it's another mm-hmm. usher that might be like going against everyone. My last thing is just that Madeline is cold as ice. She wants the receipt to be the eyeballs, which is so fucking sick. Um, we, we've we talked about how hot mama's eyes are so crazy, too. So it's just interesting that she wants the eyeballs. And then just to go back, because I didn't get to say it, but, you know, how do you take your morning coffee in solitude? Like, go yeah. fuck yourself. Yeah, I love that. The Grizz. And then the smart girls are only sexy until you realize they don't want to fuck you line. But then even better was the Grizz's line being like, your mother was a full service secretary until her brain rotted and she killed a great man. I'm like, oh. it was just like line after line. Yeah. I was like doing a dance. <laughs> during <laughs> another another line he said there, too, which I wrote down was I didn't write down the second part, but he basically kept saying, don't fuck with me, Madeline. You can fuck me. Don't fuck with me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She was awesome. He was awesome. It was just like such a good back and forth. They really were going toe to toe. It was really good. Yeah. Just to sneak back, uh, Madeline was talking about, you know, you were sticking your dick in everything at that time. Maybe you fucked a bartender. And again, we're talking about this switch. Like he was with his wife. Why was it? He he wasn't fucking everything. This must have like just happened. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and we'll still get to that wall scene later, man. We'll get to yeah. that wall scene later. This is going to be the last isolated scenes before the final Vic and Roderick in modern day. So each of the kids are going to get their own individual scenes here. So I'll just lump them all together and we can talk about everything. Um, so Vic has the conversation with Verna and this is the moment in the episode where she gets all philosophical about her being out of touch with her human side and the ticking is driving Vic crazy. So this is all escalating. That's mm-hmm. probably the one we don't have to say much about because we'll talk about that in the final bucket. Um, the other two scenes are Freddie scene with Lenore. And then they're talking about, uh, I think they're just like laying out like PR strategies again, like talking about Freddie's being all salty. I, I didn't take anything away from this scene besides what we already knew and talk about. So if there's anything you want to add there. And then the third one will be Tam getting her scene um, with Bill and talking about the bodyguard, which there was this weird moment 
I guess it was supposed to be Verna when she like opens the door, Tam does, and sees yeah. like the girl like walk by. I didn't really understand that. I guess it was just like a creepy moment. But that whole thing with just Tam and Bill, like the freak yeah. out and all that stuff. Tam is just fully hallucinating fucking everything. She's falling asleep. She can't. She was like, you were walking around the park with that whore. And he's like, dude, that was you. What the fuck? Yeah. She's missing like full chunks of memory. Yep. And she's like. It's very interesting the ta- the Tam stuff. It- it's sad because she's just obviously spiraling. But it well, we can really save the Tam stuff for next episode because this is just the beginning of her losing her mind and like kicking Bill out of the house. Um, yeah. Her Bev Keen was showing here. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't mention Bev Keen as one of her credits in the first episode. I skipped it. I didn't want to correct you, but yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I mean, I just missed one. You should have. You should have. Bev Keen is her superstar moment. That's she's yeah. fucking incredible in that. Yeah. Uh, there was honestly. there was a quote I want to bring up, though, in Tam's portion, because I just th- like her blacking out and like all that stuff that works really well for me as like a horror element for just all of her scenes. You don't know what's reality and what's not like when she blacks out and like has all those notes that are crazy. But Bill has this line where he just says, like, you haven't been sleeping. It's been a long time, like horror movie, long time. And that yeah. is like a great just meta break. I just I thought that was worth bringing up because Bill's a good dude. And he kind of got the short end being married to Tam and her just treating him like dirt. Their acting is amazing together. Just their fights are so good. Tam, just such a good character. I love mm-hmm. him. And like you said, we'll get more into him next episode. That's literally called Goldbug. Um, but to jump back to Vic in the office when we got Verna, when Vic is talking to her, the slurping, chirping noise is just so good. Going back, that's actually how the episode opened up. It's just a black screen and you just hear the slurping and chirping before going into the first scene. Only someone who saw it twice could. Uh... Totally, totally. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This, this is only if you do the classic watch in the middle and then go back to the beginning. <laughs> Flanagan, classic. all the true Flanagan fans do this. You just don't know it. Um, but uh, I just, again, call I each think other Flannies. Flannies, yeah. We actually call them Gan Gans. So you obviously aren't in the group. Um, but <laughs> this almost seemed like another test. Like when Verna comes in, this is. Vic's last chance to like prove that she's a good person. Now's your chance. Tell this patient, you know what? Maybe this isn't good yet. Maybe we're not ready for mm-hmm. human trials. She's given her all the opportunities, but of course, Vic's pushing is like, you know what? We'll go through with it. And that's when she seals the deal, um, is the way I was taking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take it home. Let's take home episode five here. And this is just the final two scenes. It starts with Roderick. He is talking with Maddie again, Madeline, and they bring up the deal or like they talk about the bartender again and this is something I, I wrote down because Roderick ends up saying I never touched her more than Mads did and I thought that meant like maybe we're going to get a scene where he also kisses her and that kind of reinforces that theory of that's how the deal happens and then yeah, that also what's su- that also supports all of the stuff that Madeline's saying about did you stick your dick in her like and he like didn't instantly say no or whatever whatever so there's something there I think maybe um yeah but then but then we have his whole contemplation of suicide moment where he's like freaking out Ooh. and he, he knows that he basically cursed the usher name is what he's kind of like implying and that's what I took from the scene um so we could talk about that piece and then of course just open the floor for just when Roderick shows up to Vic's house and like that craziness that we get. So I guess we'll stick with that first boardroom scene for when he's in the business spot first. Dude, him being like, take Ligadone five at a time. And then in the later scene, when Juno has 47 Ligadones and she's just oh. like, Rip. 
out of control. She's really taking an unprecedented amount of Ligodone, but that was that was a 10 out of 10 scene. This is like one of the scenes I'm saying that like no one could do it better than Bruce, like stabbing himself. Him with that fucking huge machete. I forget so what he called it. It's so funny, man. He's like that ripping it around. That next episode, it's so funny. It's a, it's a 10 out of 10. Um, But the jump was great. I liked the way they did that, like cinematically, but boys, mm-hmm. what did you think? I just want to go back to say, actually, I forgot to say this because we kind of cut each other off, but I thought that the scene where Augie and Roddy are talking and Vic shows up and like you said, Luke does her impersonation of N- Nell. I think that was one of the best scares, quote unquote, of this show. Like that one actually got me good. Oh, yeah. Um, He's phenomenal. And now it's going to be one of those things, 100 percent, where you can't imagine anybody else being in that role. And Bruce, we talked about in the first couple episodes of this podcast how Midnight Mass, Hamish Linklater, I think his name mm-hmm. is, yep. one of the best performances of Flanagan shows. Bruce is a star and he's a top he's a top acting performance for any Flanagan show, at least one of the top ones. And going back to what you're saying, Luke, there's nothing cooler to me with these two episodes, whether it's through Roddy or Vic or Tam in the next episode, when you have scenarios where you're hallucinating or you're falling asleep and you're waking up and things are different and anything could be happening at any time and you blink and it's gone. That's like the kind of horror that really interests interests me. Like, I don't care about like, oh, there's a jump scare. Like, I like where it's like, oh, my gosh, she puts her head down and she lifts her head up. And this is episode six, but there's scribble all over her notes and, you know, crazy shit written there and all that kind of stuff. And it does that a lot with Vic and it does that a lot here with Roddy. And I think it's money. Mm -hmm. So this is where it rides. Is he talking to the brick wall and saying, like, I think I know a way to end it. Should I do it? And then he goes up. And then he goes and starts to take the ligadone. Is that is that yeah. the sequence of events? I think yeah, so. he basically is just realizing he could, mm. he could kill himself and then it would end so, the curse. Yeah, again, to this brick wall, when he is talking to it, assuming, like I already said in the theory, you know, Griswold is behind there, or Rufy Grizz. And um, we also <laughs> hear bells go on. And I was like, okay, the only time I remember bells is Annabelle. And I don't know if I'm pushing that one too much. <laughs> I like but, that. Uh, like, you know, another reason she could be in there because everything switches. So uh, I love the way he's just talking to him. And he's like, you know what? Fuck you, too. And then he's like, I'm going to go do it. And him just talking to himself. And then he doesn't do it. He's like, oh, coward. Like, mm-hmm. his performance is just so good. It's so good because he's so with it and together and smart. Like the lemon pyre, the lempire, lemon yep. monologue was so fucking good. And now you mm-hmm. see he's not like he's not really there. There's obviously going to be a reveal that someone's standing there or laying there or against the wall and he's talking to them. We don't know who he's talking to right now. I mean, I I think that's a reveal that we should be expecting. I almost took it like it was shackles, not a bell, but I think bell might make more sense based on the sound. I was just taking it like it was shackles. So in my head, I thought that there was someone shackled against the wall that he's seeing and he's talking to them. Well, he says but bells. if it's bells and I'm wrong on that point, he Next says episode. bells. OK, yeah. I, yeah. OK. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying what I thought I heard. You know, I thought it yeah. sounded like shackles, like, yeah. you know, chains. And I'm just I saying think- I think they're behind the wall and he built that brick wall. And also uh, there's been so many lines about like somebody's trying to dismantle this firewall. You call your family like brick by brick. Episode one, again, only know this because I had to go back and watch that <laughs> literally opens up with, you know, Pink Floyd's like the wall, like just another brick in the wall. 
So that there is a constant theme of that. And the imagery of like taking a brick out by killing somebody, hence the fall of Usher, the house of Usher. There just seems like nice. there's a there's a theme going in that direction. A little Spartacus style, right? With um Yeah. When when uh Adiatus gets his revenge, yeah. That was a fucking moment. Sorry, Kathleen. That's okay. Jimmy, Jimmy, what is Bruce Greenwood's best performance? This show or National Treasure 2? <laughs> He's the prez. He's I know. the prez. He's, He's my president. I wish he was the president of the United States, Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> if he went for prez, I would vote for him 100%. Yeah, not a good comparison. It's like this new Flanagan show or the best movie of all time. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's unfair. <laughs> All right, All right, take us home, let's, Luke. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just talk about open the open dialogue about the the final scene. We hit a bunch of the moments, like we already got yeah. the owl reveal that happened. I was freaking out when Roderick was starting to hear the ticking, thinking that broke every rule I had about this yep. show. But yeah. then it turns out that it's literally pumping Allie's heart in the other room. And this was by far the most gruesome death of this show so far. And I was like, I knew she was gonna Vic, Vic was gonna die here, but. This was like in a vacuum, like still shocking to watch. Just her just like go crazy and kill herself. Um, and she was like blasting the music to drown out the ticking. Like all of this was really done. I do wish we got a little bit more screen time of it building to this point, but this was yeah. just like a hit the deep end kind of moment and just crazy. Amazing reveal, honestly, because like you said, Luke, so much was going through my head once the music comes off and you're fully expecting Roddy to be like, I don't hear it. But then when he says, I do hear it, I'm thinking, okay. Like so much is going through my head. I'm like, would he have seen the black cat if he walked into Leo's right. apartment? Or would he sure. like would he have seen all these hallucinations? And then obviously we find out that it's because it's real and it's actually pumping her heart in the other room, which is a freaking amazing reveal because of how much it makes you think. And then boom, smacks you right in the face with a horror scene with Allie just up, up against the wall with her freaking chest open. Crazy. Three things. One. Allie's noises she was making when the thing hit her in the head on the ground with the oh with gosh. the bodyguard being like, y'all good in there? And she's just like, <laughs> so yeah. good. Fucking incredible. You never heard somebody getting eaten out before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you perv. Um, two, not you, the bodyguard. Uh, two is, of course, Roderick's acting as he walks in the room and trying to talk Vic down, being like, you got the funding. It's done. You, It's yours. Like trying to like figure out what the fuck is going on in that room so fucking good and three is verna not actually being there this time whereas the rest of the times she was in the room this one kind of just happened without her which i thought was very interesting it was the first one that she wasn't actually there for True. I mean, she was a part of it she just wasn't there yeah i thought that was uh pretty telling that this is the first death that didn't have Verna, except for the part where she looks to the left and sees the woman walking by, but we don't know that's Verna, but you have to assume. Yeah. But yeah, she's not directly involved at all. I don't know because like Vic kind of almost seems like she's possessed at the very end, right before she stabs herself. She's like, ugh, like, why'd you have to do this? Now I have to like do this myself or something like that. So it almost seemed like Verna did almost possess and yeah. or at least lead or speaking through Vic at that point. And they usually just, show it. Yeah. This is yeah. totally, you know, a, a Flana Gan Gan group thing. But if you <laughs> if you watch this and then go back and watch episode one, we do <laughs> at at the three children's funeral, you know, Tammy, Freddie, and Vic. We do get a flash and we do see like all of the kids like kind of like dying almost at their death. 
and yeah. we saw Vic like stabbing herself, and this was that image, obviously, and it just looks so good because you see it and you're like, how is this going to happen? And it leads to it completely perfectly, and then it happens, and you're like, oh my god, it was right there. I should have seen that yeah. come in. So yeah. it's it's just so such good writing. And then of course this scene's happening with Vic and Allie, and they're playing Total Eclipse of the Heart. Every now and then again. <laughs> yeah, I loved that, James. All right. Okay. That's so episode let's, five. Yeah, let's, let's move right into episode six. We don't need to waste any time. This is probably going to be a longer one, but we did cover a bunch of things and theories yeah. at the top. So that's probably why we're going a little bit longer. And we mm. have to get some of Paul's classic theories in there, too. But <laughs> Goldbug, this is going to be the Tam-centric episode. We're going to go through the same rinse and repeat cycle of how these episodes have been starting. And this episode kicks off with Tam basically sleepwalking through life. She's losing all of her sense of reality, straight moon night vibes, right? Like we're just, she's like blinking in and out and like, it's just moon night. Um, So that's like to how we kind of cold open here. And in modern day, Augie is asking the good questions here. Like most of these kids in these stories, they were by themselves. There was nobody there to tell these stories. And then he has that great line, like, how did they tell you? Like before they died? And he goes, no, after or whatever he says. And that's like a really cool line. But so, so Augie's starting to be like, what the fuck's going on here? He's starting to connect the supernatural dots a little bit in his head. So we're going to see that play out. Did any you want to add anything there? That's just pretty much it for the beginning. All good. Okay. So Tam back in her own apartment, like she's going crazy. She starts to see that she sees the gold bug gift and like there was like crazy shit in there and like nothing's there. She has like the conversation <laughs> with Bill. All of this is just good horror. I think Jimmy, you were kind of hitting at this earlier. Like you mm-hmm. like it. It's really fun because you don't know what the fuck is happening. And she starts breaking down for the first time we've seen in the show. I don't think there's a conversation to be had there. So that's just like the setup for Tam's storyline and her trajectory. But then Roderick has a scene where he's basically talking about the, uh, there, this could be theories crafting here, like some, some sort of bread crumb trail here where he's talking about like the immortality thing with like the Egyptian goddess and the eyes. This all is like symbolism connecting to Madeline and her story. Uh, but this is basically him saying like, you know, the rich can do whatever we want. Am I a God? Like that was a really cool scene. He just has been killing all of his line deliveries. But then Madeline shows up on Pim's orders. Like she's just questioning Pim and basically trying to get some more information about like, where's the ring? Like all these random things that are happening. I don't think there's anything Am I going too fast? Because I feel like there's nothing really worth talking about yet. No, it's good. I just think I think Paul had mentioned is like the first time someone did that. Like we're seeing Roddy and he's like in a trance. Like he's not himself. He's being goofy. He's blood all over him. Like it's a it's a crazy visual. It's so fucking cool. But it's like the woman, Roderick. And he's like the board, Madeline. And then he's like not um, quite on the same page right now. He's he's like, I'll I'll talk him down. And then later you see him being like, I got this on on the phone to the board members. He's in full like businessman mode. And Madeline is on full like this woman. Like what the fuck is going on with this woman? So I think that's like just the main takeaway besides the board stuff. But yeah, Yeah. it's all good. Mm The only thing that I connected with the Sapphires was that Madeline was asking for that woman's eyes. And he gives the whole right. speech that these are the eyes of a goddess of, mm-hmm. of a god. And yep. I took them and I found them and stuff like that. So just really, I'm just feels like it's hyping it up for a really good finale. And I'm so Agreed. excited to get it all connected. Yeah. My only notes are just the delivery. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So I'll keep going then because then. There's some scenes coming up that we'll probably be able to talk a little bit more about. Um, 
Lenore's starting to get all sketched out by Freddie and his erratic behavior. She goes and tells Roderick this too. And this is when Roderick was really feeling himself. Uh, but let's move on to the Juno scene. I almost oh, said Anya. Good. Anya? Uh, right? Yeah, it was Anya. Anya. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right in the so heart. This one hurts. We're going to combine the, the Juno waking up scene. And then, of course, like later, Tam shows up and they have that weird sure. moment too. So whatever yeah. you guys want to bring up there, because Juno really had, I don't know what, like what the punch is going to be for her. But there's something that that's building up to. And we did get to see her take like fucking 50 pills, which was wild. <laughs> she's like the breakfast of champions. Whatever she said. <laughs> she's purely comedic relief, man. Yeah, she's excellent. Never would have thought her in this role would have been like funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's devastating, though, too, at the same time. That conversation that she has with Tam, where she's saying, I had no family. And I thought that joining the Usher family, you guys are a big family and I'm going to have finally a family and i guess i was getting in over my head i can't believe i i would think that and you're waiting for tam she, she seems at first like she's feeling bad and then she just says like oh at least she does say for a second like he never yeah. answers his phone for anybody it's not you but then she's basically like all right if, if you hear from you know give me a call let me know and then leading that to the fact that she thinks that tam's talking to her when she's talking to verna my gosh like that hurts yeah. <laughs> you know it she's hurts. Saying, i'm just here to support you I'm just here to support you, you know? Oh, my gosh. And then she throws the freaking microphone stand at her face. <laughs> yeah, is she okay? What do you guys think? Uh, she's she's got to be okay. She's, a, she's, right? a, she's immortal, man. She's got 50 pills of ligadone in her. She man. can take that shit and jump right back up. <laughs> I always had in the back of my mind that she was in on it somehow. Like, she, she talks about how she met Roddy. And, oh, you were the founder of this pill. I love you so much. I could blow you. Like, that... I don't know, like, if that was, like, a whole setup to me, but there's something definitely going on in the background behind you. know, at least I had that in the back of my head. So, you know, if we start next episode and she's dead, I'm going to sound so stupid right now. It can't be. It can't be. There needs to be a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like Juno doesn't even get a bodyguard. Like, it seems like nobody gives a fuck about her. It's so sad. She's the best. I love her. Ruth Cott is crushing it in this role. That's all I have to say. But my other thing is, quickly with the whole Freddie Lenore thing, like Freddie's losing his mind. He's going insane. He's absolutely, I have notes like Freddie's going to absolutely torture her. And then we, we obviously get that later, but just quickly, like after they see the death of Vic and Allie on the TV, just like Juno had, he tells Lenore, like none of them are right in the head, man. And they're not barely even usher. So just fuck them. Like he's really just coked out of his brain. Like he's not even trying to save bowling, man. For Lenore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bully is so good. He's oh, crazy. it's funny. Uh, he gets is, a spare and he is loving it. Is he injecting uh, his wife with like that experimental nightshade that they were kind of talking about? So I took it. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible guess. I didn't think of that. I was going to yeah, ask what you what you thinking. guys thought it was. Mm-hmm. We it's can just like skip he... to that. You want to talk to that real quick? Um, basically, it's it's right after Lenore. Lenore does visit Roddy at one point and he kind of just like. You know, it's like, everything's fine. You're fine. I will never let anything hurt you. Like, you're good. Lenore wants to stay home with her. He won't let her. That's why I'm like, he's going to torture her. And then this is when they were watching the movies and everything, whatever. But then Freddie just ends up ripping Coke and, you know, poisoning her. There's not really much else to say, but except that he wants her to be able to see and hear him. So I'm wondering what well, I thought he was going to do something real gruesome, like fuck someone in front of her or like. He will. I'm- Next episode, oh, he- something's happening. Oh, God. So, you know, that. Obviously, Lenore was so surprised when her mom starts talking. She says, like, oh, she's talking. She's talking. Like, earlier, mm-hmm. she was just literally couldn't even move. And she obviously, she was poisoned earlier, too. And it wore mm-hmm. off because he says last one lasted like six hours or something. So 
crazy. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing. It's obviously not the first time he does it. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy next episode for Freddy. I'm really excited for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so anything else you wanted to add, Kathleen or Paul? You good? Nope, I'm all good. Okay. A couple quick scenes here, too, before we move into another big one. Pim does the Pim thing. He's the Pim Reaper. He goes into the crime scene, cleans it all up, does his own thing. I don't... He takes the laptop, whatever. The stuff he's been doing at every crime scene. He takes everything. Yeah, yeah, literally. He's like... Fortunato property. They're literally like, oh, that knife is Fortunato property. And he's like, yep. <laughs> that's tech. That's Fortunato high tech. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah. Okay. The power he holds, for real. It's awesome. And then after that one is Maddie gets a solo scene where she's like talking about the algorithms again, the consciousness mapping, Westworld. That's all I can think of. That last scene with Arthur Pym, what was important there is he took the folders that was in Vic's office that was about the patient and the human trials, which was Verna and which had her license ID and everything. And that perfectly connects to this after the, the consciousness mapping, Pym ends up bringing up the patient file and the address on there was the childhood home which was that's that's Looking a cool awesome. like that felt haunting of hill house e like with like everything's back to the original house or something like that but um Wild. okay so this is again continuing on the pim thing this is a big pim scene in the modern day where augie and, and rod are talking and i have a theory connected to this too where kind of it's worth talking about i guess they talk about pim's past how he was a badass like he basically mm-hmm. went on a worldwide expedition did all these things to, to circumnavigate the globe when he was younger. And it's just Roderick basically giving him some clout. Like, yo, he can do everything. Like he's a badass. He got, he got whatever we needed done. And one thing that they said through his little spiel about him, they said, I think it was in the North pole. They found an Island called Ultima Thule where he goes on to say that it, it was basically a place outside of time and space. I don't know if that's like, you know, symbolism or whatever, but, this sparked a connection to the earlier episodes. If you guys remember when hot mama is like having that weird scene in the bar, it might've been like episode two where it just like cuts to her. And she's saying like, we're outside of time and space right now. Mm -hmm. So I originally thought, did Pim make a deal with Verna as well? But I don't think that plays out because he's so shocked at seeing her everywhere in all these pictures, but there was something there because that's the second time that Flanagan used outside of time and space. And that just feels way too much of a coincidence for it not to mean anything. I just don't get why Pim wouldn't have been showing that he knew a little bit more about Verna if he did actually meet her in, in his like younger days. But is there anything I, there? Or am I just grasping at straws? No, a hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I was getting that verna is in the ultimate fool she is part of these they called them like real beings and they also said the earth was hollow and they live beneath us but they also talk about the island up north but um yeah and it's almost like i think the the ring that they keep showing on verna like maybe that's the symbol of the ultima thule like you're one of those immortal beings because they always show that ring on her with the big point and then what you were talking about outside time and space i think there's a connection with every time one of the kids talks to verna they are isolated and in a room and going back it could be them well they're not isolated here but in the bar we already know that bar doesn't exist so that could have been them outside of time and space just in that Mm -hmm. bar um then you go to prospero and when he's talking to verna he's in that red room 
when she takes off the mask and nobody else is there. So that might be out of time and space. Uh, for Leo, when he goes and talks to her at the pet store, that could be that his location, like outside time and space, because that cat also didn't have a name tag, by the way. I don't know if you guys talked about that. You're such but... a cat man. It didn't oh, exist. my God. It was brutal watching all that. Um, so yeah and this could be more going for like the cage with Camille back in there when she's talking to her in there or the bedroom with Tammy as well like this all could be locations outside of time and space kind of like that yeah I like it too I think that there's more answers for Pim that we need to find out because Pim does say I would be nothing without Roddy and we don't really have that yet because Roddy's making it seem like he was a big dog even as young as 25 so we don't know where he meets Roddy and Roddy makes him become something. I'm nothing without Roddy. Doesn't sound like it makes sense to what Roddy's story is about Arthur back even when he was 25 going on a world expedition. So I'm sure there's more to find out about Arthur, but I do like the outside time and space thing because whether you're right, Paul, or whether you're right, Luke, where it's, it is being brought up and it's being said multiple times. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for it, I feel like. Also, just want to give Mark Hamill some more props. We all know that he's the man with with voice acting, too. He's the Joker. He's the goat when it comes to that. But this is not Mark Hamill's voice. This Arthur voice that he chooses is money. Like, it is so good. Mm-hmm. I love it. He is so ominous. He's You could tell he's a badass. You should be scared of him. He's a human in this whole entire supernatural scenario where you see Verna and this and that. But they're scared of Arthur. Him yeah. dropping the photos and being like, I don't think they're fake. And this tracks back to 1901 shows Verna with Zuckerberg and everything like that. Fucking mm-hmm. hysterical. And they show everybody. It, it's so, so funny. Um, let's let's just use that as the jumping yeah. off for that scene. Um, there's another scene that we'll talk about after. But yeah, like the cool line that kind of leads up to this is Augie says, like, did he end up finding her? And then Roderick says, we sent Arthur Gordon Pym. Of course he found her. And it's just like a cool little moment for him. Just more clout. So, yeah, we're in the Fortunato, I guess. And their Pym's given all the evidence, just like Paul was hinting at. Just amazing to see like those huge celebrities. Like, is did Zuckerberg sign off on that, or like, how, how's that? Yeah, fucking yeah like? Trump, right? Rockefeller, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Yeah, I thought the best yeah. part of all of this was that the bar was never a bar. The address mm-hmm. was like five miles away, and they said they had walked, and Madeline was like more like five minutes. So, wherever they had gone to that night wasn't even like a real fucking place, which is just so cool. Which is the same thing of like outside of time and space, right? We just mm-hmm. talked about that. Which is that like when he said that, I was like, yeah, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what I was saying in the last podcast episode, where Maddie goes to where she thinks the bar was, and you were saying, Kathleen, like, well, was it torn down, and now it's not the bar anymore? And I was like, yeah. it doesn't even look like it was supposed to be anything. Except the wall with the raven. And and you obviously see in a lot of the flashbacks this episode, again, Roddy's looking at the raven. They specifically have the conversation about the raven. But I'm glad we get this reveal because when I saw this, I'm like, it looks like just the wall. And I'm thinking of like, this is stupid, but I'm thinking of like introduction to the magicians. For some I reason. thought that too. 100%. 100%. <laughs> but yeah, so we cover the magicians. And if you guys haven't seen it, please watch it because it's freaking phenomenal. I mean, what can we name all the places we've seen the raven, the raven like yeah the graffiti here the raven in the bar with the raven right when he passed out outside the church and he like looks up in early episode one and is, what is that is that just representing his death coming or an edgar Allan poe thing yeah yeah edgar Allan yeah. Allan Poe thing. they had the they had the line in the bar like uh he says oh i thought ravens are bad luck because noah threw them out of the ark and they still survived the flood but some other people see them as good luck and good fortune so just mm-hmm. waiting for that to tie in 
I also pitched uh, the magicians to a friend last night, sold it. So that's a coincidence. But yeah, fucking love that. Okay, so next we get like this little Roderick scene when he's downstairs and Goldbug's about to drop and Madeline slaps him in the face. But basically, Madeline's like, what the fuck are you doing down here? And he's like, I'm listening. You think the kids are just telling all this ripping the stories down there to him? Like, this is what he means when he's saying, Uh, like, the kids are telling me the stories. Because like you... Jimmy, you were saying you're waiting for the reveal of people to be like listening to him, like when he was doing that little like kind of suicide thing. But I mean, we do get a bunch of reveals of the four of them just sitting there staring at him. So I don't know that we're going to get a reveal of it being anyone else unless it's Annabelle and the Grizz. We'll see. But but so far we've gotten those reveals. Uh, But that's uh, anything else on that specific scene of them in the basement. This is just where he says, do you hear that bells? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Slapped and was like, get your shit together. And now it's the Tam so, show. Yeah, I was going to say there's one other thing that happens before we just do Tam for the rest of this okay. is the breaking into the file room. I think did we we all didn't right. say that yet. When no. Roderick, young Roderick breaks in to start making copies of all the forgery files. And that's going to be a future plot point. Probably nothing to bring up there. How could you ever want to get rid of Annabelle, man? I mean, obviously Maddie would, but I'm just saying, how would you ever want to cheat on her? She's so supportive. He's literally having this conversation with him where, where she's like, do you think this is for a good reason? And he's like, yeah, she's like, then I'm proud of you. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, he's, <laughs> she's, she's so nice to him. Going to make it that much You're more. You're such a sucker, man. Yeah, she's Stashed. dying. Two big chunk scenes here. And it's all Tam related. And we are going to start at the actual gold bug launching event. Uh, and then, Jim, you brought this up earlier. And I didn't understand why Maddie said the line that. All men want to do is they want to they want to fuck. And then right before they die, they want to fuck. Like, why did she say that? Well, yeah, I mean, it comes right after she says, man, all they want to do is have kids. She's talking about the fact that first you don't miss Bill. You think you miss him. You think you're hurt, but you're not hurt. You're going to be fine ASAP. You're going to find the next. And then she Mm -hmm. says, you know, I had my ex-husband. I thought I missed him. What an idiot I was. And then. Boom, I don't give a shit anymore. He just wanted to have kids. And that was important to me because we've been saying this entire time, you know, she doesn't have kids like Roderick to punish her with. She Mm -hmm. ended up having kids. You would assume that Verna would probably be taking them out, too, because they're ushers. So I think that the having kids thing was just an extension that line that you were saying, Luke, is extension of that. So I I didn't really take it anything other than the fact that she's just like, we don't need men mm. kind of thing. Huge, okay. hu- That's huge scene for me because this scene, of course, my mind went racing and sprouted a whole new theory. So w- none of the Usher kids have kids besides Freddie. And we know that his wife could potentially go on out and cheat. So I had the theory maybe that wasn't actually his daughter. And if that was true, then none of the ushers would have kids thinking like maybe there's a connection way they can't have kids for some reason, like any of the uh, usher kids. And I don't know if that stems like back to the you can't continue the usher line pretty much that you're saying like, yeah, and Lenore might not actually be part of the usher line. That's yeah, interesting. Make her safe. Yeah, Tam. She has that cool moment where she sees Verna giving the presentation on behalf of her, but it wasn't her. It was herself she was seeing, I guess, because she's doing the whole fucking with reality stuff. But this is just a we could talk about whatever we want here. The kink sex video, the throwing the mic stand at Juno, uh, Madeline actually like doing a cool like scout out like looking for verna in this situation and i think she even goes on to find her later and she grabs her and when she disappears she has like all this like black like soot on her hand is what i took Mm -hmm. it as so this was just a this was just the moment before the death and 
of course shit had to hit the fan for Tam because she she looked like a psycho up there. So Paul yeah. sexiest scene. Let's hit it. Talk to me about the sex scene, Paul. <laughs> Dude, I loved it. All right. She, you, you're going to be eating her ass while she's reading a book. I'm like, God damn, Tammy, you got some very specific interest. You and Camille, like back in that, you know, right? episode three or whatever. Yeah. You got some very specific needs. Yeah. So, seriously. Lick her armpits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an essential, right? That's just the that's bum is what... an upcharge, she says. <laughs> you gotta watch that scene with the subtitles because so like if you're not watching with subtitles, you might miss what they say, but it's literally like the bum is an upcharge, all this good stuff. It's great. And then later on, just I'm not gonna talk too much about it. What when Tammy's back in her house with the you know fire stick and fire poker, you hear Vernus say, you know. You sure you don't want Bill? He's eating this whole lot of ass for you. Like, he's a good guy. Yeah. It's like such a good line. But <laughs> do you think that she just saw all this? Like, the sex tape wasn't actually up there. Verna yeah. wasn't actually in the slides. No, so no. she's just, Correct. okay, just wanted to. Right. And we see the woman sitting behind Juno. She is in the same dress, kind of like the green dress that Tammy is seeing Verna as. Yep. Um, but she's, okay, so she's just picturing all this. I think it's so badass that Verna as like this devil spirit was just like looking Madeline in the eye and just like letting this all happen. Like, you know, you caused this and just disappears on cue. Like the scene was great. Cause this is, I actually really like that. Madeline's trying to actually make progress and it's not just like waiting around for shit to happen to her eventually. And she's like scouting everything. So I thought everything with Maddie was good in this scene. Yeah. It was like secondhand embarrassment to the max. Just as soon as she comes through the curtains, what the hell are you doing here? Also, like I already brought up the fact that she sees Verna behind Juno and says, what the F are you doing here? And everyone's just like, what the hell is going on? And then you can see like when she looks back and she sees Verna and then she sees the sex tape, she's looking at the assistant. The assistant's just like using her gold bug makeup, like nothing's going on because it's just totally all in her head. It's yeah. just wild. And then, Luke, what you're saying is once she starts messing up and saying, like, what the hell are you doing here? You could see Madeline immediately puts her glasses on. She starts looking in the crowd because she's looking for Verna mm -hmm. and she's not there, but she sees her to the side. It's just money. I mean, this is just so secondhand embarrassing, awkward, dude. So bad. This is amazing. You know, I was dying here, Luke. Yeah, Paul's like, weakness. <laughs> I hate secondhand embarrassment. I get embarrassed for people so easily. So I literally, by reflex, hit, hit like the fast forward arrow like three times because <laughs> I didn't want to see it. And I was like, no, you got to watch it, bro. So I had to go back and I watched all of it. And no, yeah, it sucks. Podcaster. It was, it sucked. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, at the same time, finally, Madeline's like catching on, like, I'm going to be there. Um, and she's looking for her. Poor Juno, like, what the fuck are you doing here? I thought yeah. I'd be Aww. supportive. <laughs> like, she said, I, I love Juno. Justice for Juno. And then just freaking blasting her with the, with the yeah. microphone stand. My God. <laughs> Nailed her with the base of it. It was perfect toss. Um, the only thing I have toss. to add is that the actual death scene, like with all the mirrors and stuff. And, you know, like earlier we, we kind of skipped over that. She was like crunching her feet for Roderick and Augie scene. And she was like kind of the bent neck lady at one point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the mirrors in the room make total sense, like up above all around, you know, she, she likes the sex stuff. So people with mirrors on their ceiling are, it's mostly for sex stuff, right? Like why else would you have a, a mirror on your ceiling? But the physical mirror, like, Going through her back and then going through her neck was, again, crunchy ASMR heaven for me, and I loved it. 
So let's we're gonna keep talking about it, but this this is the end, right? Like Kathleen, you already yeah. you you said the ending. There were like mm-hmm. three great lines here. I thought this was some of Hot Mama's best line delivery of the season when she says, um, you absorbed your twin in the wound. That's fucking hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> she's like gassing her up, like saying she's yeah. crazy. And I think later on, like Tam says, fuck you. And she goes, it's a little too late for that now, don't you think? Yeah. So like she's like just hitting all these great lines. And then also the actual line of sustenance here was Verna says that she confirms again that the death has nothing to do with her. And it's basically just implying that this is all because of Rod's curse. You could have done this easier, just like Leo and Perry, like all of them had the option to die easier, but she didn't because of her, whether it's the seven deadly sin or just because they're terrible people, they get this crazy death. Yeah, I think there's a few notes that I want to bring up that I forgot. I love the scene where she freaks out at Bill again in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then she says, basically, like, leave your keys. And then she thinks she's saying, I'm so sorry. Shit's going crazy. I, I need you. And then, boom, like, it blinks and you see the key on the table. I was like, damn, that's crazy. Whether he was there or not, I don't even freaking know. But he left his key and left. And then again in this scene, she's smashing mirrors, smashing mirrors, trying to go after verna and verna's disappearing and she's like you're wasting time here again like basically what you were alluding to like you can take this time to finally chill or you could keep being crazy you're you're delaying the inevitable but you're wasting time smashing mirrors yeah and you know all the scenes that we've seen of here talking to bill earlier on in the episodes they did show the mirrors there like even the headboard of the bed was a mirror like we've all seen this before so it's not like they just threw it at us so it's great that they incorporated even going back to episode one the little flash of her that we got in the church was like i thought it was shards of glass falling around her and it had a green tint to it too because each flash had a different tint to like how they all died um so it was it it just comes together so well and I thought it was such a good, horrible, horrible visual, but good visual of the slow motion bounce Mm -hmm. and the mirror glass that's already on there and going back up. It was intense. We also get the reveal that Bill doesn't like these hookers. You know, he doesn't like doing this, but he does it for Tam. And we alluded to that last episode. We were guessing that we were wondering, I guess, if he actually likes it or if he doesn't like it. And he says he hates it. He loves Tam. And then she's just like Mm -hmm. the meanest person in the world. Is Bill even going to be in this? Like from here on out, no, you know. I mean, if they show her funeral, he might be in that, but otherwise, yeah, he's done. One very small thing: Camille just low key actually getting into Goldbug and like doing the punches and stuff and wearing built gear. Like episode four, thought that was fucking hysterical. Oh yeah, she was a joke, and then she was actually getting into it. But if this is the end of Bill, it seems like everything's kind of wrapped up there. Yeah, yeah. How did a fitness enthusiast not create Bill if their name is Bill? Come on, that is money. That is that's marketing. <laughs> Great central. brand. Great brand name. <laughs> I think that's it, right, guys? Nothing else to bring up. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, the next thing we watch will be nine, not nine, ten, seven, eight. So we'll have all of our answers. Um, I'm pumped. Like after three and four, I was like, yeah, not that I wasn't excited to watch the next ones, but after five and six, I'm fucking pumped to see seven, eight. Um, I think um, two and three were just like a little, like a little lull for me. M- three, mostly four. four, I would say. Yeah, mostly yeah. four was probably three and four. You mean? Yeah. yeah, just four really. Three was good, and then I thought four was a little bit of a lull, which is unfortunate because that was my boy's episode. It's episode one for me, the Black Cat. I literally thought the show opened <laughs> up with Raul Coley saying, "I'm looking for some pussy." You're like, I thought that was the start of the show, and I thought he was like the main character. I wish. Um, 
So the only theories, what a great show. Let's create that show. Yeah, the <laughs> only theories or things I'm looking forward to um, that we still don't know is just where Rod got Ligodone from. He says like I don't own it. We already know he doesn't own it. He didn't make it. He just he says I wish I never stumbled upon it. So in a way, maybe he's seen Verna before and made the deal with, and that's how he first got Ligodone in the first place. So that's when he kind of made a deal with her. And then later on, Madeline made the deal in the bar when they made the kiss because it goes on. Would you rather be famous or rich? And maybe it goes mm-hmm. along with that. So how he got Ligadone and started all that. Looking forward to that. And obviously, what's behind the wall? We already know my theory. I think he killed everybody. Annabelle, <laughs> uh, Rufy Grizz, and his secretary. I think they're all behind <laughs> that wall at the, at the bottom of Fortunato. <laughs> all right. Paul, the only problem I have with what you just said is that he it's perfect. Recognize wouldn't he recognize Verna if he went to the bar if he already had seen her before? Yeah, I think he does, and I think he pretends that he doesn't. Just doesn't want to. Just doesn't want to say it. Okay, that's like interesting. A, because he's like a married and family guy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just kind of had that. Okay. Feeling. Um, before we go, let's just throw a couple things on the board here. Okay, so real quick, rapid fire. What happens to Annabelle? Does she? Like, what's the deal? Just that give me a fun. quick theory. Yeah, but how? By like, her husband. It? <laughs> husband kills her. Roderick kills her. And she's in the basement of Fortunato. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Just I think Madeline was in on it, too. Yeah, my original guess from episodes ago was that Madeline kills her. So I'll stick with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, my guess is either going to be I'm going to go with kills her or because Roddy goes bad, she leaves him or I mean, she's dead, right? So maybe she kills herself. But whatever. So either way, I, I'm going to go. I think it's the Maddie thing. I think deep down Maddie's she thinks that Annabelle is making Roddy a softy. So she kills. Mm-hmm. OK, Rufy Grizz, you think he is what they're hiding or running from the night of the 1979 yeah. going into 1980? Something mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. He okay. dead and, the then, and then finally, what's the deal with the basement? Do you have any guesses before we get to the finales or the finale last two episodes? You're talking about of his childhood home in present time. Where Augie says, what's that Mm -hmm. noise? And it's important to note that Augie hears it. So there actually is something down there. And Roddy says it's Maddie, which is ridiculous because it's a shitty ass old home. Why would she be in the basement? Yeah. My only guess is that she did kind of get what she wanted. Like if you're making a deal with the devil, like, yeah, I want to live forever. Uh, there you can live forever but that doesn't mean you're gonna live well like maybe she mm-hmm. did kind of like a curse like yeah you can live forever but like you're basically bedridden and you can't like do anything mm-hmm. or maybe something happened where she's an accident and yeah she can somehow live forever but she has maybe has the heart so you think on. she's down there like yeah, you think she's down there in like a hospital bed or something maybe not even a hospital bed maybe she's like a freaking cage i don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah that's there. cool i mean well i mean it sounds like that i'm not against that paul it's and... actually lenore down there with maddie's consciousness inside and she's right, calling from saying. downstairs and then he's just dicking in the calls until the right moment that is oh. that's pretty much unironically what i was going to say something around <laughs> that because like the phone call and the basement have to be connected and lenore is going to be involved too so Nothing yeah. Yeah. Nothing in these two episodes made me expand or change any of that stuff. So my last question, which we'll get into my theory, is do you think that Roddy and Maddie will throw down at all before the end of the show? Or do you think that they'll just both meet their ends as just Roddy and Maddie? Like, do you think they'll headbutt at all? Or do you think it's just... The, Option two. It's just gonna... I don't think they're fighting. Yeah, okay. 
I'm not yeah. sure. I think they're just yeah. going to come. Right. Yeah, my, I don't I don't really know what the deal is downstairs with Maddie. I mean, I, I feel like maybe if they're fighting, then maybe Roddy has her prisoner down there. But, like, why are they fighting? We don't have any indication that they'd be fighting yet. But we do know that, again, she's heartless, or I think she's heartless. And it could be that he finds that out the hard way at some point. And, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited to, to figure it she out. She wants some of the cognac, the expensive cognac they're drinking, mm-hmm. and Roddy won't give her any. And that's why she's locked up in the basement. I want some of that. Are you kidding yeah. me? Million dollar sip? Give me that. Hell yeah. All Million right. dollar sip, man. Gee. Hell yeah. What that's the end. And then, I mean, Roddy literally threw a full glass of cognac across the room <laughs> and just threw four Yikes. million dollars away like that. It's fucking sick. I'll take one million and be happy. But all right. That's the episode. We'll be back and we'll know all the answers by seven and eight. Go talk to us on our discord. We loved Alicia. You crushed. Thank you for sending that in. Um, if you have anything to say, discord us, tweet at us, Instagram at binge on TV. You can send us an email at binge on TV at gmail.com. We'll read it all on the pod we love interacting so come hit us up come hang um also hit subscribe if you're listening on the fall of the house of usher specific feed then uh hit subscribe and then go to our binge town main feed and su- subscribe to that on apple or spotify or wherever as well because we've got plenty of stuff going on we're doing gen v which is fucking lit it's one of my favorite episodes to watch during the week um week to week so far we're doing survivor as well we just finished up uh will time and one piece so go watch that and then go listen to that and go watch the magicians and listen to our, se- our season five coverage because it's the best show of all time uh we are binge on tv and turn around every now and then <laughs> every now and then you're listening to the geekscape network You're listening to the Geekscape Network.